Only a handful of countries allow terminal patients to die by choice. Colombia is one of them. In fact, it is the only one in Latin America. In 2021, Colombia's courts ruled in favor of euthanasia for non-terminal patients. The first patient who chose this path died in January of 2022, and little by little, others followed. I didn't want to go through all of that, but euthanasia gave me the opportunity to control that and put it into my life in a more peaceful way. Today on the America's Now podcast, we'll talk about how euthanasia is seen by the patients, the families, the doctors, and of course, the lawmakers. Correspondent Michelle Begay followed the story and in particular, one patient who opted to die. She joins us now from Colombia. But before we begin, we have to say that the content of this episode is for mature audiences due to its nature. We do not endorse any position about euthanasia, and we are here with Michelle to share what she has witnessed as a journalist. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Elaine. Uh, This is such a complicated and multi-layered story. Tell us first about the person that you followed and what he told you. What were his reasons for euthanasia? So Felipe was a 19-year-old man, uh, Colombian. He had a normal upbringing and when he started college um here that he started at 17 years of age starting studying architecture he started having issues um uh, with his stomach uh went to the hospital various times and finally got diagnosed with stomach cancer he tried everything um on the book chemotherapy radiation several very complicated procedures and our interview was a two hour, two and a half hour interview where he really laid down all of the difficult moments during his cancer journey. He came to the conclusion that he just didn't, he did not want to um, end his life on a respirator because he did have a very difficult uh, situation where he woke up on a respirator and for several minutes and it was a quite a tra- traumatic experience. So he he described the whole agonizing journey and and he said I don't want to go through that again. And so uh, being that he was sent home um to end end life and 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 his days he said that he he wanted to have the power to choose and he chose to have a peaceful death. Yeah, he alludes to this um let's listen to Felipe for just a little bit. I saw euthanasia as an opportunity to die in a different way than what I thought it could be. Because I saw my death as something filled with agony, in a clinic, on a respirator, or something like that. Michelle, did he give you the impression that he was relieved by this possibility? Yes, definitely. He he actually um, his cousin was the one who suggested it. Um, I was surprised a little bit that it hadn't come up uh, during his experience earlier. It seemed that it was something that you know, popped up in his radar 
um, right at the end. And he said, you know what? He when we saw him, um, his kidneys were collapsing. Um, he he was yes, he was sent home to on morphine. Um, and so he said, I'm, I'm going to ask for this. When we interviewed him, he'd already passed the paperwork. He had to go through the psychological um, evaluation on, and, uh, and the panel, the euthanasia panel had to still approve it. So he didn't know when or if it would get approved at the time that we interviewed him. But then we, um, we continued, obviously, our, our um, we continued our um, communication with his family and with him till the end, quite honestly. So he made this decision as a 19-year-old. I mean, he's in his last teen years. Yeah. Um, tell us about that last trip that he made with his family. He, well, it's, it's interesting you say it, it, a 19-year-old. I felt I was not interviewing a 19-year-old. I felt I was interviewing uh, an older man who had lived many beautiful things in his life and was very uh, well read, especially on the topic of obviously death and life and very spiritually profound. Um, and that was the beautiful thing about having the conversation with him. He And he was obviously very at peace with all of the things that he had lived through, right? He was very sure, sure of himself and very um, confident about his life's journey and what he had experienced, why he had experienced it, and what he wanted to do next. And then um, he took this trip with his family uh, to the Tatacoa Desert, which is a beautiful desert here in Colombia. And he'd always wanted to go to the Sahara Desert, but, uh, but the Tatacoa Desert was, was the closest, I guess, that, that his family could afford because we're talking about a family who's um, uh, they, they would be considered possibly um, middle, lower class family uh, in terms of their economic um, input. His dad is a truck driver. His mom doesn't work because she has um, health issues. So they, uh, he did two trips, one to Germany and this one to the Tatakoa Desert with his family. Um, because his family could not travel to Germ Germany with him. And it was beautiful. It, it, he described um, this beautiful place connected to the universe. It was a little bit kind of connecting himself back to nature, you know, feeling connected to, uh, to life, right? And that's what he talked to us a lot about, that this, this death experience had opened the door or, or the experience of having this lengthy, in a way, death of two years in agony with chemotherapies and not being able to do anything, according to the doctors. Um, and because he's so young, Michelle, um, and I know you said in talking to him, he was wise beyond his years, but did his family support his decision? When we went to interview him, his mom, we, we, we were with his mom, with his aunt. It seemed everyone was very, uh, very at peace, supportive in his decision. And um, at one point, so we, we, once, once it happened, um, and he opted for the euthanasia, it got approved, and the date was set, and he had the procedure. We later went to visit his family. And quite honestly, Elaine, I was, I was ready to uh, feel or, or receive anything because I thought maybe his family um, hadn't been as supportive 
or had had doubts. And I felt that finally I was going to be able to talk to them without him there. Right. And without a month, you know, it was, it was about three weeks or a month after he had passed. I think it was a month. And I was surprised because they were very pro euthanasia at the end, at that moment. And I had, I had spoken to uh, a Colombian lawyer who was against euthanasia. And he said, you know, he had told me, I've seen families who are distraught afterwards. They think that they're in favor and then they're not. And um, and so I I was kind of ready for that. I was OK, you know, maybe they're they're a month later having a hard time, obviously, with this. And yes, they're having a hard time with his death. But um, but his father was just in tears saying this was the best uh, choice for my son because he didn't have to. Um, suffer and his mother accompanied him through the illness in the hospitals and she described her fear of having her son in a hospital connected to tubes and connected to machines and and having to give him morphine to the point where he's not awake and and being a mummy as she described these other people and so for her it was also a way to not have to see him in that situation. And so they were very peaceful with this decision when I went to see them a month later. Yeah, you and I are both parents and we have much younger small children. So it's just hard to even contemplate, uh, which is why it's really interesting to see what his parents have decided. In fact, let's listen to uh, Felipe's father, Ricardo, here and and what he had to say about this. Porque tiene que esa persona sufrir? Why does a person have to suffer? A young person who has not done anything bad to anyone, why does he have to suffer? So, Michelle, that is part of the debate that everyone around the world has when uh, this issue comes up, this issue of euthanasia. Is it the humane thing to do or is it about protecting life? What are people in Colombia saying about this? Did this receive a lot of attention? Yes, uh, euthanasia receives a lot of attention here. The topic is interesting because it's a thin line, Elaine, because uh, I told the the gentleman, um, Juan Camilo, who was, again, Colombian lawyer against euthanasia that I interviewed, and I thought, well, we can have this conversation here in Colombia because there is an option, right? At the end of the day, you can choose in Colombia. You can't choose in other countries. Um, everyone can kind of decide whether or not they want to do something like that in their lifetime or if they're, it, I mean, if unfortunately, unfortunately, they're put in that position, right, of having a terminal illness, of of having to live through something so difficult but they have the option at the end of the day. And here in Colombia, there's still debates. There's still a lot of debate on whether or not that should be an option. Even and 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 Colombia is a country who keeps pushing the envelope as well on it because they uh, they've talked about rights for children, which is even an even more difficult conversation to have because um, a 12 year old child, a 14 year old child, when, you know, are they capable of taking of making that decision? Um, and then there is a spiritual aspect as well to take into consideration where um, there are people who believe suffering is part of a spiritual journey that needs to be done. And 
And there are others who think I don't have to suffer. So I and I would want to choose not to suffer. And and so I, I what I just learned from all of this was just a deep respect for realizing that everyone I love that everyone has the right to choose, you know, that that aspect as well. I, I, I cannot form an opinion on anyone else's decision, right, on what they want or or don't want. Um, I am again, I'm a journalist as well. I need to respect if someone wants to suffer an illness and and right and 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 have an end of life that is different to what maybe i would choose or you know someone else would choose but this whole story was beautiful because it made me well think about my life and what what i want talk about death even with my family everyone was in the end i felt everyone was encouraging a talk about death you know pro-life and pro and and uh, and um, pro-life and pro-choice on the topic of euthanasia. Everyone was encouraging having that conversation without fear. What do you want? What do you, you know, how, how should things be? Should we accompany people? Um, how should we accompany people through, the, through their end of life? And that was very beautiful as well. You briefly mentioned this lawyer that you spoke to um, mentions another angle here. Uh, Juan Camilo Rodriguez. Let's listen to him quickly. Of course, death is the least expensive, right? Because the other side, which is care, is much more expensive. Why? Because when we talk about pallia palliative care, we talk about the well-being of the, of the patient, but not only regarding its health, its physical health, but also its pain, also its suffering, its emotional suffering, at, and its psychological situation. So then you have a larger array of issues that you have to deal with. So are money and high medical expenses really part of this argument here? Or how does it compare to some of the other aspects we just mentioned? I think it's super, a, a very interesting um, topic because when we talk about people with non-terminal illnesses, right? Someone like Marta Sepulveda who, who maybe we don't know if she would have had access to um, the type of therapies that help you have a quality of life after a strong diagnosis of, of, a, of a huge medical, right? A, 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 a lengthy disease or such. And so there is a part of the conversation that is, that is had here um, by doctors who say that would people choose euthanasia if they did have, if they felt accompanied in their illnesses, if they felt supported um, emotionally, uh, right? Emotionally, physically, right? And, 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 and the development of that in medicine, um, there has to be a lot of, of support economically as well, right? Do they give um, psychological support therapy to family members of a person who is going to accompany uh, someone with uh, a multiple sclerosis, a rare, you know, a rare form of multiple sclerosis. Well, do they give them, th do they give family members therapy? What if, what if the person who has multiple sclerosis says, I don't want my family to suffer because I know they're going to kind of be left alone. Maybe I'll opt for euthanasia because of that. Right. And so these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves that, that, that's, that are completely true. It's great that there's a choice, but at the same time, um, do people 
what what the Colombian uh, lawyer argued is that um, out of his fear uh, is that if euthanasia is an option, there will be less money spent on the other options of giving that support to other people. Hopefully that doesn't happen, obviously, um, so that anyone can live out their life uh, in, in, in the best way, right? And have that quality of life, quality end of life, um, and not opt out for euthanasia because it'll be less costly for their family, uh, less emotionally scarring, if they if they want to li live their end of life that way then they should be allowed to um and and live it you know be it through with the disease and everything and wait until the universe calls them back i guess well and that being said i'm backtracking a little bit here michelle but how does a patient get this procedure started when they are up against the clock and only may have so much time left on earth i mean how long does it take to go through the procedure the process to get the approvals if this is what they want to go through okay and that's that's a very um important also part uh to go through because the pro-euthanasia um foundations talk about how difficult it is technically you have 10 days you have to have a 10-day response they can they can't take longer than 10 days to respond to your request. And so there is a time limit and it should be done in a timely manner to not make this agonizing for the family and for the patient. Um, it's about 90, 60 uh, patients every year. And so since then, so it's not that many people um, and, and so when, when someone's in a hospital, it's not necessarily presented as an option. And so if the family is interested, you have to, it's easier to find a foundation that helps you go through that process. And the process should be, and is usually easy after that, um, because you have to have the approval of a doctor, approval of a psychologist and a lawyer who argues this whole case, a three person uh, euthanasia panel. But um, so it, it should be, it should be done in a timely manner is what is what the euthanasia um, foundations uh, have explained to us. And it was that way for um, Felipe. He, I think, um, requested it in August, 7th of August. And then the procedure, however, was done a month and a month and some odd later. And it was approved, I think, um, I don't a week before he decided to do it. So it, it was it was proved and he chose the date. I told my mom when I am no longer here, I may not be here physically, but I will be everywhere. Always great to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today on the America's Now podcast. The executive producer of the America's Now podcast is Jose Velasquez. Our audio editor is A.J. Moore. Joe Zarenko is our copy editor. Umberto Duran is the head of the Features Unit. And I am your host, Elaine Reyes. Till next time.